0: in Romans today. I uh, finished in Romans chapter 3 three or four weeks ago, took a break, looked at some Christmas themes, the coming of comfort and consolation, and of course the Christ. And so today I want to get all the way through Romans chapter 4, which is a noble effort on the part of your pastor. I just want you to know. Um, I don't think y'all really appreciate that, but The last time we were in Romans, I came close to the end of chapter 3. It was all about the righteousness of God and how you and I are made right with God. We're made right with God through Christ, what he's done for us, and it is through redemption. So the righteousness of God through redemption, and right now, no delay. The end of chapter 3... Paul begins to shift gears just a little bit, and he ends chapter 3 by asking some questions. And he asks those questions and uses those as a launching point to talk about Abraham and the lessons and the applications that you and I can learn and make from his very life. So, we're really in Romans chapter 4, and I'm going to move through all of chapter 4 today. Chapter 3 ended with basically three questions. And it is, should we boast? And that is, should we boast if we're right with God? The second question he asked in the last few verses of chapter 3 is, is God the Lord of all humanity or just the Jews? And then the third one is, does law or does faith overthrow the law? And that's the question that he launches into this discussion about Abraham. And so in chapter 4, there's basically three sections. And the first thing... <coughs> That Paul makes clear is that Abraham was not justified by works. If Abraham's not justified by works, you and I are not justified by works. And it's a great lesson for you and for me to learn. We are not justified by works. And then he gets into the issue of religious ritual. For Abraham, it's the issue of circumcision. And he says that you and I are not made right through those religious rituals. And then it all comes down, once again, as always, to faith in Jesus Christ. So, If you have your Bibles, I invite you to go with me to Romans chapter 4, beginning verse 1. With this thought in mind, Abraham is not justified by works. Romans chapter 4, verse 1. What then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. That's a key verse, key, key passage. Abraham believed God. Doesn't say he worked hard, it says he believed God. Doesn't say he jumped through all the religious hoops, it says he believed God. Abraham believed God. Now, you could put the word faith in there instead of belief, because really, Pistuo in the Greek, it has that idea of faith and belief. So, he believed God, he faithed God. I like the English word trusted. He trusted God, trusted God, believed God, faithed God. And because of that, it was counted to him as righteousness. Now, to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due, And to the one who does not work but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Now, the issue is Abraham was not justified by works. Listen, we live in a culture that loves to boast about what we do. And and we will do that from time to time. And some of it's really good. And some of it's heartwarming. Just in the last few days on Facebook. The source of all things anyway and I'm not being critical of anything that I'm telling you about I'm using these stories to make a point so don't hear me being critical just hang on till I make the point and then you can criticize me if you want saw on Facebook where some Christians went to IHOP glory to God in heaven right they went to IHOP and uh, got their carb overload, but they, they videoed themselves, and they said clearly on the video, we prayed about who our servers should be. And then they filmed themselves giving their server several hundred dollars. I don't know if you all saw this video. One gave her a $100, and she was just overjoyed. Another one gave her $100. She's about to shout. Third, fourth, fifth, $100. Huge tip. What a blessing. They filmed themselves... Gave glory to the Lord for what they had done, but put it on social media. All right? Heard about some folks that had a fellow at work, needed a car. They got together, bought the man a car. Good story. Heard about another one, a gentleman in Virginia. Went off from his hometown. Life has gone well. Work has gone well. He now has resources. He returned to his home neighborhood where he distributed 1,327 toys valued at $12,000. And he told everyone what he had done, not being critical of that at all. This year, it seemed to me more than ever, people talked about setting out goodies for the people who work for UPS, the post office, the uh, FedEx people, all those people that brought you all your Amazon gifts. Set out goodies for them. And you'd see their reaction, and they'd put it on social media. All of that is good. It feels good to hear those stories. It gives you a warm, fuzzy feeling. says, man, there's hope in humanity. It makes a great impact, but guess what? None of our good deeds, even those that make everybody feel good, gain us any points of favor with God. Because you and I cannot work our way into heaven. We cannot gain. We cannot earn. We can never deserve the grace and the forgiveness that God offers. Because salvation is not a means of grace. Listen to me. Salvation does not come through works. Visible morality is not a measure of faith intellectual knowledge of God even the truth of his gospel is not proof of faith religious activity is not proof of faith ministry activity is not proof of faith knowledge of even the belief that you and I have sin does not equal faith All of those things are works-based notions. Paul uses the illustration, and he says that employees are paid their due for the work that is done. When you get your paycheck, you know this. It's not a gift. I I told you all about my first job, the glorious food world of Fairfield, Alabama. Went to work there, started, I think, on a Wednesday night making $3.70 an hour. My first night, they had me scrubbing toilets. It was rather entertaining. I know it was a Wednesday night because my youth minister left church and came to see me at Food World and brought with him a friend of his who was almost a vice president. That guy comes walking in the store, and they're like, Did we do something wrong? He said, No, I'm here to meet a new employee. I'm in there cleaning the toilets when this almost VP walks in. The store manager thinks something's gone wrong, and I'm just like, no, this is just who I hobnob with. You know, (laughs) my job, scrubbing toilets, getting carts in, bagging groceries, sweeping, mopping, all that stuff, $3.70 an hour, 12 hours a week. That's $44.40 before taxes, and guess what? I earned every stinking penny of it. But in opposition to that, you and I will never earn, deserve, or work our way into heaven. Now, why would Paul even make this point? Well, I think Paul had a pretty keen insight to human nature, and I think sometimes you and I still struggle with this whole idea of doing versus believing. And I think sometimes we may commit a sin, we know it's a sin, it is offensive to God, and somehow we think, well, what can I do to make things right with God? Guess what? Nothing. You're thinking, well, if I do this ministry, surely God's going to be impressed. Maybe if I go on one of those mission trips, God's going to be impressed. If I, and fill in the blank, whatever you think you may be able to do, to impress God, that is a works-based theology. And anytime you and I associate our activity with the forgiveness of sins and being justified, then we've made a mockery of grace. We must come as we are, understanding we can't earn our way into heaven. Charles Spurgeon told the story of an artist in his day who was particularly gifted and known for painting scenes of towns, cities, streets. And Spurgeon said the time came for him to paint his street where he lived, where he walked every single day. And that street had on it, in that day and age, a street sweeper. And that street sweeper was at that street every day sweeping He was always disheveled. His hair was messed up. His clothes were ragged and dirty. His hands were dirty. He's covered in sweat. But anytime somebody was on that street, they saw that street sweeper. And the artist said, in order for this picture, this portrait to be authentic, I need to put that street sweeper in that scene. And he interviewed that person and he said, Look, I'm painting this picture of this street. You're such a part of this community. I need to paint you into I'd like you to be here on this day, this time, so that I can paint you. And the street sweeper said, Okay. And when the time came, he showed up. He had taken a bath. He'd washed his hair, he'd combed his hair, he had on new, clean clothes. Nobody recognized him, and Spurgeon used that to make the point. Listen, if you and I are ever going to come to the Lord, we've got to come as we are. We can't clean ourselves up to impress God. So Abraham was not justified by his works. But not only that, he wasn't justified by circumcision, this religious ritual. I, I want you to look with me at verses 9 through 12, and then we'll look at 13 through 16. The Bible says in verse 9, is this blessing then only for the circumcised? That is, those who were Jews who had gone through that religious ritual, or also for the uncircumcised. That's, uh, that's the non-Jews. For we say that faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness, Remember that? We just read that quote from Genesis. He believed God. It was counted to him, credited to him as righteousness. Look at verse 10. How then was it counted to him? Was it before or after he'd been circumcised? Was that before or after the religious ritual? It was not after, but before He received the sign, verse 11, of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. The purpose was to make him the father of all who believe without being circumcised so that righteousness would be counted to them as well. And to make him the father of the circumcised who are not merely circumcised but who also walk in the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham had before, he went through the religious ritual. It's a debate about religion. It's a debate about ritual. Was Abraham's circumcision the means of blessing and righteousness? Here's the short answer, no. His righteousness was counted to him, was credited to him, was put in his account, if you will, before he went through the ritual of circumcision, before the religious ritual. For Abraham... His religious ritual, his circumcision was the seal, it was the mark, it was the telling of something that had already happened. The confirmation of what had happened in his heart. He had already believed God. He had already faithed God. He had already trusted God. All of that didn't happen as a result of that ritual. Look with me at verse 13. There's no transgression. That is why it depends on faith, in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring, not only to the adherent of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. Wordy passage, but here's what it's saying. There are some things you need to remember in your faith journey, your walk with Jesus. For some, your religious experience, your relationship with God. There are some things you need to remember. And it relates to the law and grace, law and faith. There are some folks who simply think they prefer the law. Now, friend, I want to tell you, we all never prefer the law. Because there's no way we'll ever keep all the law. At least 613 laws in the Old Testament that governed, that oversaw, that spoke to every single aspect of our lives. And the law was always meant to point us to the need for a Savior. But there's always that one or two who says, man, I can do it if everybody was like me. I tell you what, look at me, let me be your example. But let me tell you what, you can't keep the law perfectly. I can illustrate this by reminding you of speeding laws. Not that I've ever sped or that I would confess to it on a Sunday morning in church. But I'm willing to bet every single one of you have broken the speed limit. You say, well, I don't drive fast. Have you ever gone a half a mile over? Yeah, you have. And guess what that makes you? A lawbreaker. That is the way it is with the Old Testament law. Man, you break one, you're guilty of all. And if you and I go half a mile over, whether we're caught or not, we're guilty of breaking that speed law. So if you and I miss out on faith... And seek to live by law, there are some things you need to remember. You say, well, who in the world? I'm going to tell you, there's some folks who lean to the law. Because they can't believe how glorious grace is. We got some legalists that walk around from time to time. Listen, if, if you choose the law over faith, if you choose law over grace, you're forsaking faith. You simply can't have it both ways. You can't appreciate and live by grace and by law at the same time. You've got to choose. It's an impossibility to rely upon the law and faith, the law and grace at the same time. If you choose law over faith, law over grace, then you deem unworthy the promises of God. Because if we say we choose law, then you've downplayed what God said he'll do for you. And when you do that, you're treating God like anyone that's ever let you down before. You know, there's some folks that you just know you can't trust. Don't look, don't point. Don't do that. But there's some folks you hear the name, you think, no, they let me down one time back in 1974. I can't trust them. I can't. Re-. And listen, when we insist on the law, we're really saying we can't trust God. Grace is too great. It's too glorious. We can't believe that. There's no way he'll forgive me. There's no way by simply trusting, faithing, believing that I'll be made right with God. If you choose law, you downplay and deem unworthy the promises of God. The third thing you do is if you choose law over grace, law over faith, you awaken wrath. Why? Because the law brings wrath. That's the nature of law. If you've got law, if you've got rules, then when someone breaks the rules, breaks the law, you expect the law will be followed, exercised, and applied. Not only has there been heartwarming news of late, there's been horrible news of late. We we have read about murders, kidnappings, cyber attacks, burglaries, Ponzi schemes. Whenever we hear somebody did something, what do we say? Well, I hope they catch them. And not just to catch them, but to put them under the jail. We want all the law to come down on those who break the law. You translate that into spiritual terms. And if you choose law over grace, law over faith, then you're saying, if I break it, I bring down the wrath of God. See, the issue for us is always faith. Verse 13 says, for the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be heir of the world did not come. Did not come. Was not the result of. Did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. This is that believing versus the doing. And I think we all could struggle sometimes with the believing and the doing. Have you ever asked somebody to do something for you, whatever it is, and in the back of your mind you wonder, I wonder if they're going to do it. I wonder if they're going to do it right. I wonder if they're going to do it my way. Y'all ever think that way? Can I just be transparent? I do that far too often. The people that live with me will tell you I do that. I'll give you one example. I'm the best loader of the dishwasher in my family. (laughs) That's just true. Y'all look at me. I'm the guy. Man, I can get more stuff in there. I can pack it just right, and I can get it just so. And anytime somebody else has that job, can I just be honest? In the back of my mind, I'm thinking, I bet they won't do it as good as me. I bet I could have got four or five more things in there. I hope they push the right button. I hope they don't, move, they don't miss that extra hot wash and that extra long dry. Because I, I do it right. I'm not sure they will. You know what? Sometimes I think we have that attitude towards God. And that's the wrong attitude. That, that is doing versus believing. It's action versus faith. And I want to tell you, we won't get to God. We'll not have a right relationship with God by any of our doing. But only by believing. But only by trusting. But only by faithing. And I think some of the struggle is because it is for me. I know myself. We know ourselves. We know other people. And we wrongly understand God When we look at him through the filter of other people. Because other people will let us down. And guess what? This pastor is going to let you down. Hopefully, if you're new to this church, you've heard me say, we'd love for you to come, but if you're looking for a perfect pastor, you better keep looking. Give me about a week, I'll let you down. And I think sometimes we filter all of that. And it all comes back to the basics. Believing God. So, So Paul is making the point to the church at Rome... Look, we can be made right with God. Should we boast? And and then he gets on this issue with Abraham. He's not saved. He's not made right through any actions of himself. He's not even made right through religious ritual. It all comes down to faith. Faith is required. Look at verse 18. This is how chapter... Four will end on this issue. Faith in Christ is what's demanded. In hope, who's he talking about? We're still talking about Abraham. In hope, he believed against hope. Isn't that a funny way to say that? In hope, he believed against hope. Y'all know what faith is. It's conviction of the things we've hoped for. In hope, he believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations. Don't forget, that was the deal. Started Genesis 12. If you need to read about Abraham, called him out of a pagan background, I'm going to make you into my nation, my people. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to bless those who bless you. All the nations of the earth will be blessed through you, Abraham. So Paul now tells us in Romans 4 that in hope he believed, Abraham in hope believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations. As he had been told, so shall your offspring be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead. Now, there's an honest report. Since he was about 100 years old. Or, he didn't weaken in faith when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God. But he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he promised. That's why his faith was... Counted to him as righteousness. But the words it was counted to him were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. Why? Because we got a lesson to learn. It will be counted to us who believe in him, who faith in him, who trust in him, who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. That is a wonderful passage of scripture. That I will not do justice to in the next 10 minutes. But friend, I want to tell you, there's a whole lot of good in those verses. Because it says in verse 18, in hope he believed against hope. That means Abraham didn't have a whole lot to hope in. Who was he, who was he looking to? He's looking to himself. The Bible says he didn't weaken in faith when he considered his own body. That word considered means to fully understand, to perceive clearly. Abraham knew himself. He knew he was 99 years old. He knew he couldn't run as far as he used to, lift as much as he used to. He knew when he got up, his back hurt more than he used to. He knew he couldn't read stuff as clearly as he used to. Why? Because he's 99 years old, and God said, you're going to be a dad. And his nursery decorating days were long past. But he believed God, and it wasn't just he fully knew him. He looked over at his partner, and there's Sarah, barren. Barren, no children. They would prayed for, wanted, but never had she given birth. And God said, you old man and your barren wife, you're going to have a child. And he didn't waver concerning the promise of God. In fact, the Bible says he grew strong in his faith and gave glory to God. Why? Because he was convinced God could do what he said he would do. That is the essence of faith. Abraham had already learned what a mess he made of his life. If if you remember the story, God said you're going to have a child, 99, barren. Sarah has the bright idea. Hey, there's Hagar, my maid. Sounds awfully strange to us, culturally acceptable then. Abraham says, okay, a child is born, but guess what? (laughs) That made Thanksgiving and Christmas terribly awkward. Why? That's not the child of the promise. That's not the child God said he would provide. So when you and I step in and mess up life, even when it seems to make sense, even when it's quicker than God's moving, even when it seems to just make good sense to us, that's not faith. And so the Bible says that Abraham chose to believe the promise of God in fact we read he was fully convinced that God was able to do what he promised how appropriate after he had messed things up how appropriate when he realized he really couldn't fix the problem how appropriate when he found out God can do things better than we can and that's where we all need to get We all need to get to the place where we're convinced God performs what he promises. We all need to get to the place where we no longer doubt God's promise, his ability, his timing, his methods. If we're ever going to get right with God, it's going to require faith. Faith that God still loves us even when we've blown it. Faith in God when it does not make sense to us. Faith that God will do the unthinkable, the undeserved, the unexpected in unexplained ways. Faith is when you don't have a plan B. How often do we make a plan B? I bet you had one for Christmas, didn't you? Now, this is what we're going to do. But now, if, you know, if they act this way, we'll do this. Now, this is what we're going to do, but if they don't show up, we'll do this. But we do it every day with all sorts of life things. If this doesn't work out, here's plan B. I'm telling you, faith in God, there is no plan B. If you and I are ever going to be biblical, born-again, Bible-believing children of God, we must operate, live by, and die by faith. It is faith, faith, faith. Heard the story of the old lady who was hungry. She loved God. She prayed for food. Praying, praying, praying for food. Her landlord was a pagan and knew she was praying for food. And the landlord said, I know what I'll do. He went out and bought a bunch of groceries, set them outside her door. She opened the door and started praising God. He heard her praising God and said, See, you're all alike. I bought those foods. She said, I prayed to God. I don't care if he used the devil to bring them, I got my food. we got to have faith. Faith is a firm conviction and then a surrender to that conviction and then conduct consistent with that surrender and that conviction. That's what faith is. Have y'all ever gotten on a crowded elevator where you just thought, this probably ain't the smartest thing in the world to do, but they kind of back up? We make room for you. Y'all ever been there? And what do you do? No. Okay. You know you're living by faith. You're living by faith that whoever designed that elevator. I don't know about y'all. I'm looking on the wall. What's the weight limit? I'm sucking them out. Yeah, it'll be great. We have belief in whoever designed that. We have belief in whoever built that. We have belief in whoever's providing electricity. We walk by faith every single day. I'm a Disney fan. I don't know if y'all know that. I got on my Mickey watch. Anybody else like Disney in here? I'm looking at some of you I know. Jesus knows. Y'all raise your hand. The rest of you, y'all legalists. Anyway, <laughs> just kidding. Just kidding. Uh, Animal Kingdom has this thing. Animal Kingdom is, is, they've got this ride, Kilimanjaro Safari. I can remember the first time I rode it. It's, it's acres and acres of live animals. It's like a drive through zoo. They put you in these modified, big, open trucks. We rode in one on a safari I did in Africa, and it's great. There's a part in that ride where they stop at a bridge that looks like you're not going to make it across. Have y'all been there? Y'all know what I'm talking about? And they say, oh, we hope we make it. And you get on that bridge, and it's designed to tilt just a little bit. I've ridden that ride several times. Guess what? Nobody's ever said, stop, let me off. Stop! I want to get out. Why? Because we have faith in Disney. We have faith that in the millions of dollars they use to build that park, we have faith in the story they're telling. Ta- we exercise dinky faith every day and struggle to have faith in the God who gave us the breath we just took. Wayne Barber Was a well-known Southern Baptist preacher for years. He's gone on to glory, pastored out west, pastored. At the time of his death, he was in Chattanooga. He said about faith, several things. Let me give you just a few. To contrast faith with unbelief. Faith will make one see love in the heart of Christ, even when he's being reproved by him. Unbelief will imagine wrath in God's heart even when his word says he loves him. He still thinks God's mad at him. Faith will help the soul to wait even when God does not seem to be doing anything. But unbelief will give up when God tarries just a little bit. Faith will give comfort in the midst of fears and tears. But unbelief causes fears and tears in the midst of comfort. Faith makes great burdens light, but unbelief makes light burdens intolerably heavy. Faith helps us when we're down, but unbelief throws us down when we're up. Faith brings us near to God when we seem to be far from Him, but unbelief puts us far from God when in reality we're near to Him. Faith purifies the heart, but unbelief keeps the heart polluted and impure. Faith makes our work acceptable to God through Christ. But all the works of unbelief are sin in God's eyes. For without faith it's impossible to please God. Faith gives us peace and comfort in our souls. But unbelief works turmoil and trouble like the restless waves of the sea. Faith gives us the victory over sin, the law, sin, death, the devil, and all evils. But unbelief leaves us conquered by them all. We all need faith. Would you bow your heads? We are closing out this very decade. And beginning very soon a new decade. Perhaps this would be the time when we would exercise greater faith. I think there's a couple of different kinds of faith I would mention. First, there's some who hear this message today in this room, online, or the podcast later who've never exercised saving faith, trusting that God provided a way of salvation. And by grace through faith, we can be made right with Him. And if you're that one, I would pray that you would exercise. That saving faith today. That you would believe God, faith to God, trust God for salvation. And we'd be glad to help you do that today if you need help. But for the rest of us who have done that, I think sometimes we just need everyday faith. To walk by faith, to live by faith, to demonstrate our faith, to show this world our faith. And this may be the season and the year and the decade that greater faith is required. Father, today, would you take your word by your Holy Spirit and speak into our hearts to show us the kind of faith we need. And may we leave here today people of faith. I ask in Jesus' name, amen.